We're in our series of sermons entitled Core Convictions. And in case you're visiting with us for the very first time, I do want you to know that I went back and looked at my notes. It has been about two and a half years, maybe three, since I have preached an entire message on giving. I say that because I want you to know, in case you're visiting for the first time, why is it every church I come to is always talking about money? Okay? We don't always talk about money. It just so happens that the day you're visiting, we do. And we are. And it's a part of our series of messages this morning. And I do hope that you'll see our heart behind this because it is handled so poorly in a lot of places of worship today. So let's look together at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. We're looking at verses 1 through 4. Now, concerning the collection for the saints or the offering, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections or offerings when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. We are in this series of messages on Sundays entitled Core Convictions, specifically the core convictions of Laurel Baptist Church. What are core convictions? Well, core convictions are how our theology and our motives express themselves practically. So we have our theology, our set of doctrinal beliefs that we teach and preach, and we have our mission, our motives, which is to bring glory to God and exalt His gospel. Well, core convictions are the outpouring of that. It's how our theology and our motives express themselves practically in our day-to-day and week-to-week ministry as a church. And so far, we have looked at six out of ten core convictions as a church. We we began with the first core conviction of meaningful membership. We talked about gathering together. Our third core conviction is expository preaching. Our fourth, disciple making. The fifth, gospel centrality. And the sixth core conviction that we looked at last Sunday, congregational singing. This morning, we look at the seventh core conviction, and it is, as stated above, generous giving. Generous giving. That is, we support the work of the gospel through Christ's local church by obedient giving and sacrificial generosity, believing that our true treasures are laid up in heaven, not on earth. Let me say that again. We support the work of the gospel through Christ's local church by obedient giving and sacrificial generosity, believing that our true treasures are laid up in heaven and not on earth. 
I recognize that talking about money at church invokes different responses. Uh, Mostly because the subject of money and giving has been handled so poorly in many churches. Some of you come from a prosperity background where it's not only talked about every single week, but sadly, some of you perhaps have been manipulated into thinking that in order for health and wealth to be yours, then you must give as much as you can to that church or that ministry. Some teachers have even convinced people to take out loans and give back to them in order to reap heavenly miracles. That if you really want to be blessed, if you want that that bigger house or that nicer car, car, then send your check in today. And we'll send you a prayer cloth in return to let you know that we've prayed for that bigger house and that better car. Let me tell you something right here at the beginning. This is wrong. And it's spiritual abuse. It's scriptural abuse. It's pastoral malpractice, if you will. So so I recognize just Talking about money on this Sunday morning may bring a little PTSD if you have that kind of background. I also realize that some of you have come from church backgrounds where giving is never talked about. It's never encouraged. And friends, listen carefully to me at this as well. That that is equally upsetting. Because money, possessions, and giving is a major part of our Christian faith. Do you understand this morning that Jesus said more about money and possessions than just about any other single thing? Now why? Because our heart follows our money. Jesus said that in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, where your money is, there your heart will be also. In other words, our bank records tell it all. It tells us exactly what we treasure. And perhaps yours says this morning that you treasure Amazon and Chick-fil-A uh, Exxon Mobil and Jesus. But, but mark it down, whatever yours says, whatever your investments and treasures are, whether I'm taking most of what I have and investing it in the nicest house I can buy or the fanciest car I can drive or the greatest luxuries that one can offer, well, whatever it says, our bank rolls tell us exactly Where our treasures are. Jesus knew this to be true. It's why he says so much about money and possessions. Now there are three, at least three people who are interested in your money. We could add a fourth if you want to talk about the IRS, but we don't want to talk about them this morning. So we're just going to talk about three. Three people who are interested in your money. Number one, you're interested in your money. 
So, so let's not sit here piously and say, well, I don't think about money. Yes, you do. You need it to live. You better think about money. So let's just, let's just go ahead and take the religious piety, put it out the window. We think about money because we need money to live. So you're interested in money. I'm interested in money. But that's not the only person who's interested in money, okay? Satan is also interested in your money. Because he wants you to be locked up in financial bondage. He wants you to be overwhelmed by frivolous spending and enormous debt and self-centered hoarding. And he knows exactly what to get our focus and our minds on in order to lock us up in a financial prison. So, so you're interested, I'm interested, Satan is interested, but God is interested. That's the third person. God is interested in your money because he owns it all anyway. It's actually not yours or mine, it's his. In fact, the Bible says we're not owners, we're just managers. We're stewards. And the the requirement that God gives us is that we be faithful in the stewardship, in the management of what belongs to him. Everything you have on your back today, it belongs to God. What you drove into church today belongs to God. What you have in your wallet belongs to God. It all belongs to God, not just a portion. All of it does. So when we talk about giving and stewardship, it's not just about the amount that you may give back to the Lord. It's how you're handling everything that he gives to you because it's all his, all of it. Psalm 24.1, the earth belongs to the Lord and all of its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. That's you, that's me, everything belongs to him. Well, wait a minute, pastor, I'm the one that goes to work. I'm the one who, who spent all this money on this education. I, I'm the one who's, who's working hard to make a living. Oh, but I question you there. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, remember the Lord your God because it is he who gives you the power to make money. So even the ability, whether that's the specialized know-how of your job or the intellectual capacity to bring home what you bring home, whatever it may be, the power to earn what you earn is given to you by God also. The point is, God owns it all. And he can take it all away. He can enable you to go to work tomorrow. He can disable you from going to work tomorrow. It's all his. So we have to start there. But you can't can't talk about giving without realizing that everything I have belongs to God. So let's think about our text this morning. Generosity, generous giving. How this is a core conviction of our church, especially in relation to what we give in terms of an offering back to God. All right, number one, here's the first thing I want you to see. Uh, Giving is to be an offering of regularity. That's what the Bible teaches us. That giving, financial giving, is to be an offering of regularity. Uh, Look at it there in verse number one, 1 Corinthians 16. Now, concerning the offering, the collection... As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. 
So notice that our giving is to be on the first day of the week, he says there in verse 2. That, that, that is consistent with the pattern of the other church's weekly gatherings. On the first day of the week, Sunday, the day that our Lord rose from the dead, the church gathers together on Sunday, on the Lord's day. And as the church gathers together on the first day of the week, we are to come ready, among many other things also, we are to come ready to give, he says. To give regularly, consistently on the first day of the week. When you gather, come ready to give. Come ready to worship. Come ready to hear preaching. Come ready to sing. Come ready to encourage. Come ready to serve. And come ready to give. So we need to pay attention to this. Because our giving is not to be periodic or sporadic. Our giving is to be regular and consistent. Now, why would God establish regularity in our giving? Well, because there is regularity in the needs of the church. This is very basic stuff. If giving is irregular, then the ways in which our needs are met and our bills are paid will be irregular. Irregular. Right? You you have an electric bill every month at your house. We have an electric bill every month here. Uh, You get paid bi-weekly, weekly, weekly, monthly, whatever. We have staff that needs to get paid on those same terms and conditions. So, so, So the point is, God has instituted regular, consistent giving because our needs are regular. It's just very, very simple. It's very, very basic. And notice that he says here that everyone is to be involved in this. Everyone. Again, he says in verse 1 that I have given this order to the church, churches of Galatia and also to you. And also to you. So as I've given this instruction to the churches over in Galatia, so you must do also. You must do it also. The churches in Corinth. So what's he saying? That, that this instruction for giving, this is not just for big churches. This is not just for the established churches. It's not just for the wealthy or rich churches. No, this is to be the routine commitment of all the churches. All the churches. All the churches are to be involved in regularly, regularly giving of their offerings to the Lord's work. He even says a little statement in verse 2, let each one of you participate in this. Oh, look at that. Let each one of you participate in this grace. In fact, he says, look at the end of verse 2, I want you to be so faithful, so regular in your giving that when I come back, I don't want to have to take up an extra offering in order to meet our needs. It's like the preacher who passed the offering plate twice because they didn't get enough the first time around. That's why you're glad we don't pass the plate anymore. I've never done that, but I've heard that being done. And the point is, you didn't give enough the first time, so i got to take up another offering just to be able to pay the bills or whatever. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. I want you to be so committed, so faithful, so regular in your giving that we don't have to come back from time to time asking you to do more or to do this all over again because we're not getting enough. You see, the leaders of the church should not have to beg the people of the church to give. We shouldn't have to need prodding to express worship and thankfulness to God. 
Now, the obvious context of these weekly offerings here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is in the context of the local church. The book of Corinthians was written to a church people in Corinth, a church in the city of Corinth. Corinth. So, so the application of this and our understanding of it is that our offerings are to be given first and foremost to the church. This instruction is given to the church, and so it is that our offerings are to be given to the church, to the church. Now, I know I know to some this may sound extremely self-serving, but there's no other way for me to deal with this than to let the Scripture just speak for itself. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6 says, Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches the Word. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches the Word. In other words, the principle here is that where we are fed spiritually is where we are to first contribute financially. That's the principle. Where we are fed spiritually is where we are to first contribute financially. Now, again, that may sound extremely self-serving, but it's what the Scripture lays out for us in terms of the context of our offering. Now, that may not be the only place, but it's the first and primary place of our giving. Again, I read 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who are laboring in the word and doctrine. The Scripture says, You should not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. The laborer is worthy of his wages. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and his angels that you observe all of this without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. He's saying, look, take care of those who minister to you the word of God. Take care of that ministry, that church to which you belong, who is ministering the gospel to you on a weekly basis. This is extremely clear. So... What we're seeing here in 1 Corinthians 16 is when we are supposed to give. We're seeing where we are supposed to give, who it is that's supposed to do the giving, and even how often we are supposed to give. But listen very carefully. God is just as much concerned about how we give as he is anything else. That is, he is concerned about the posture of our heart in our giving. The posture of our heart. Consider 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In fact, why don't you take your Bible and turn there with me. I want you to see a couple of verses here. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's it's another excellent chapter on giving. And you'll see here again that it's laid out in the context of giving to the local church. Giving to the church that you belong, where you are being fed. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul shares in this chapter how these churches who are, by the way, leading by example how that they gave their offerings to the Lord. How they gave. Showing us that it's not, important, it's not, it's not just important where and when and how often and all of that, but, but, but the posture of our heart, how we put the offering into the Lord's work. The posture of our heart is so, so very important. Four, four things that I wrote down here beginning in verse 2. I wrote down, number one, that their giving transcended their trials. Their giving transcended their trials. Verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 8. For in a severe test of affliction, okay, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, all right, affliction, poverty, has overflowed, notice this, in a wealth of generosity on their part. So they're giving generously even though they're going through a season of affliction, 
and poverty. So it would appear here that these people are having a, having a rough time, a rough go at it. Maybe gas is $4 a gallon. Maybe the market is crashing. Maybe milk is $10 a gallon. Maybe interest rates are climbing so high nobody can afford to live in a reasonable place. I don't know what the context of the situation is, but it's very, very clear that they're having a rough go at it. The circumstances are not very easy for generosity. However... In their adversity, their minds were not on how much they should guard, but on how much they should give. It shows us how that we are to give. That in even seasons of difficulty, seasons of extreme poverty, seasons of affliction, that we can still be generous in our giving back to the Lord's work. So their giving transcended their trials. Here's the second thing I wrote down. Their giving was abundantly joyful. Their giving was abundantly joyful. You saw that little phrase in verse 2, that they did all of this out of the abundance of their joy. Out of the abundance of their joy. That, that, That is, they were happy to give. They were happy to give. Now, that's a good thing. Because when you go down to chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, what are we reminded of? We're reminded in verse 7 that God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful could be translated hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver, a happy giver, uh, a cheerful giver. I was preaching a, a meeting, I think it was in East Tennessee or the or the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina. This has been years ago, years ago, preaching a whole week of revival. And the way they had set up the offering time was everybody stood as the offerings were being played, and you just clapped and laughed. Woo! And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on here? Well, the pastor had set you, uh, structured things in such a way to teach the people to be, to be cheerful and happy about their giving. I'm not suggesting that we do that this morning, But we are to be happy about what we give, cheerful in returning back to the Lord. Because when we lose the joy of giving, it means that we have stopped remembering what God has given to us. And we start to forget what our giving is actually accomplishing. Are you hearing me? When you lose the joy of giving, it means that you have stopped remembering what God has given to you, and you start to forget what your giving is accomplishing. Jesus said our giving is eternal investments. It's having a gospel impact that we may not always see right here on this earth in front of us, but in eternity, time will show us of how much our giving has impacted the work of his kingdom. Their giving was abundantly joyful. I wrote down number three here in 2 Corinthians 8, that their giving was voluntarily and sacrificially generous. Their giving was voluntarily and sacrificially generous. Look at verse 3. They gave according to their means and beyond their means. All right, it's interesting. They gave according to their means and beyond their means. Notice this. They did it of their own accord. Nobody was twisting their arms. In fact, verse 4 says, they were begging us 
earnestly for the favor of taking part in this offering. To which Paul says, and of this, not as we expected. Obviously so, right? I mean, very rarely do you come to church and the people are saying, please, pastor, please, please, take up another offering. Take it up another offering. I just want to, we don't have enough. Let me give, let me give more. Please, 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 please. I don't expect, in fact, I don't think I've ever heard that in 15 years. And by the way, neither am I thinking it myself. But the point is made here that they wanted to do this. This was voluntarily. It was sacrificial. It was generous. They gave according to their means, and they gave beyond their means. Now, that phrase, beyond their means, is a little challenging, isn't it? Because I'm asking myself, what does that even mean, beyond their means? They gave beyond their ability, beyond their means. (laughs) And, And forgive the way my mind works, but the first question I'm asking, does this mean that they stole from someone else in order to give? They didn't have the means to do it, so they went and stole money, and they gave beyond their means? Does this mean that they... They borrowed money in order to give? No, no, I don't think it means any of that. But here's what I do think it means. I think it means that they were willing to forego a legitimate want in order to supply a legitimate need. It means that they were willing to forego legitimate wants in order to supply legitimate needs. That, that they had their own needs, but as it is with you and I, there's also a list of wants that we have. And what these believers were doing is, you know what? We have what we need. It's not necessarily important that we get everything on our want list. So I'm willing to give up the want list so that we can sacrificially, sacrificially, I'm laying that to the side. It's not important. I'm giving it up. I have the means to do it, but I'm giving it up. I'm giving it up because we want to be a blessing to the Lord's kingdom. You see, there are three levels of giving. Less than your ability, which is stinginess, treating God as if he's a, someone to be tipped. There, there is according to our ability, that is, we're to the sent people. All right, let me calculate here what this is in relation to my income. All right, $23.02. All right, $23.02. As if 24 is way too much. All right, according to our ability, and then there is beyond our ability. That's sacrifice. That's saying no to a few extra wants in order to say yes to being generous the gospel. And then I wrote down this fourth thing, that their giving was an expression of sincere worship. Their giving was an expression of sincere worship. Verse 5 says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. First to the Lord, then to us. That is, figuratively, figuratively now, they put themselves in the offering plate, or in our context, they put themselves in the offering deposit box. Now, don't go try doing that this morning. If you try to put yourself in the offering deposit box, our security team's going to think you're stealing money from the deposit box. But they were putting themselves figuratively in the offering plate, and then they put their offering in. What are they doing? They are recognizing that everything they are and have belong to God. And in worship, they gave back to him in response to his grace. Verse 7 says, As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, 
and love. See that you excel in this act of grace also. So as you strengthen your faith, as, as you learn to take your speech and do better at honoring and glorify God, as you grow in your knowledge of him, as you work hard to love people the way that you're supposed to love, also work hard at giving generously and sacrificially. Why? Because giving is just as much worship as anything that we do. Now, all of this speaks to the regularity of our giving, however it is that we give, whether we give in person through the deposit box or online or through bank drafts reoccurring each week, whatever it is. And by the way, let me just say, for those of us who do give online, which is the vast majority of our church, and those of us who do have reoccurring payments, so to speak, we, you and I, we have to work really hard to make sure that our mindset is always worship when those amounts are coming out and into the offering. I encourage you that when you're balancing the statement or when you know it's coming out or when you get the email reminder or whatever, stop even there and praise the Lord for his blessings and ask him to use your offering for his glory when you see it processed. Why? Because giving is an offering of regularity. And because giving is an offering of regularity, it is to be treated as an act of worship. All right, let me, let me move on to the second thing that we got. And then I'm back in 1 Corinthians 16, all right? You can leave 2 Corinthians 8. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 16. So, so giving is to be an offering of regularity, okay? Not sporadic, regular. And then secondly, giving is to be proportionate to our income. Giving is to be proportionate to our income. This is very practical stuff because God wants us to know how to go about this. Verse 2 says, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Storing up as he may prosper. The phrase, as he may prosper, is understood in relation to income. Income. Give according to your income. Give according to how God has, has, has prospered you. We see a similar admonition in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, where the scripture says, honor the Lord with your possessions it means everything you have, make sure you're honoring the Lord with it, as well as the first fruits of all your increase. The first fruits of all your increase. In other words, as our income comes in, our giving goes out. You say, well, pastor, that's exactly how I feel. My money's always talking. It's always saying goodbye. <laughs> I get it and it goes. I get it and it goes. I get it and I go. I understand that. But we're talking about giving. Giving. Willing, sacrificial generosity. God says as your increase income comes in, your giving ought to go out. And what we give is to be proportionate to the income that we receive. If, if, I, if I took two people and put them here on the platform this morning, and let's say, let's say one made $500 this week and the other one made $5,000 this week, but they both gave $50, someone is giving a little more proportionately than the other one is giving, right? Okay, that's the basic principle here. Give proportionate with your income. Now, now think about this. Think about this. Ask yourself the question, because only God knows this. All right? We've not hired the IRS to come in and look at all the giving records and tell us based upon the amount of money that you earn whether or not you're giving proportionately to, your, to, to, to the Lord. All right? We don't do that. So only God knows this. Ask yourself the question, is my giving in keeping with my income? 
Is my giving in keeping with my income? Now, God knows whether or not it is. But the fact remains that the more we earn, the more we are to give. And every time we earn, we are to give. Now, let me get intensely practical and personal. I don't know that I've ever shared this much detail before about my wife and I's personal finances, but, I'm, but, I, but I want you to get this practically. Kathleen and I believe that God has given us a principle to follow when it comes to proportionate giving. It's the principle of the tithe. The word tithe in the Bible means tenth. So tithing or tenthing. Uh, we also refer to that as the 10%. So, so Kathleen and I, talk personally here, we follow the principle of tithing. We have been doing so since we were young enough to remember. And we continued that since the day we got married. And after over 18 years of marriage, we continue to do that. We teach our children how to give by using the principle of tithing. If they receive a gift... We take the principle of tithing, the 10%, the 10th, and we show them how to give that back to God, all right? Halloween's coming up. Trunk or treat's coming up. We have a rule in my house. We get 10% of the candy that you receive. (laughs) Hey, it's good teaching opportunities here. So, so, so even, even when their piggy banks are growing, we, we always sit down and we think about it. We're always amazed even of how much more beyond that that our kids want to give. They are much more generous than probably I am at this point in life. Sadly. So. Well, some might say, well, pastor, the Old Testament law about tithing, it's, it's not bound to the New Testament Christian. And I say, yes, you're right. In relation to how the Old Testament law treated tithing, we are no longer bound by that law. You're right. But hear me out before you think I'm canceling out the principle of tithing altogether. Because you may not fully understand how the law required the tithing. For instance, did you know that the Old Testament law of tithing actually had three parts to it? Okay, there was a tithe to the Levites, the priests, the pastors. There there was a tithe to the temple, the temple work itself, as well as the the feast, the community feast that the nation of Israel would participate in. And then there was a third tithe. This was a tithe for the poor, okay? The law was broken down in those three fragments. And interestingly enough, those tithes were actually stacked upon each other, okay? They didn't take the 10%, divide it by three, figure out the percentage, round off the best they could, and then divvy it out accordingly. No, no, no. They weren't giving 10%. They were actually giving 30%. They were giving, according to the law now, according to the law, what was mandated, obligated for them, they were giving up to 30% of their livestock of their grain, their cereal, and their income to the various places that the law required. That's why, church, if we treated tithing as strictly a response to the law, then giving 10% of our income wouldn't actually be fulfilling our end of the responsibility. We'd actually be robbing God in what he required. 
Because it wasn't 10%. It was more like 30%. Now, if y'all want, we can change that. You see, 10% alone, we would technically be giving less than what the law actually required for the people to give. So you're right. We are not bound by the dynamics of the Old Testament law. So how are we to think about tithing then? Listen very carefully, okay? The New Testament may not obligate us to the same Old Testament law of tithing. But neither does it set aside the principle of tithing. Okay? It may not obligate us to the same Old Testament laws of tithing, but neither does it set aside tithing. For example, let's go to the words of Jesus himself. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe, mint, dill, cumin... But you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Here's what Jesus said to them. These you ought to have done. You should have paid your tithes without neglecting the others. You should have paid your tithes and treated people justly, mercifully, and faithfully. You see what he's saying here? You need to do both. You need to do both. So Jesus didn't set aside the principle of tithing. He was telling us not to be like the Pharisees who think just by giving a certain amount of money and then I can go about and treat people however I want to treat them that God is somehow going to be pleased because I gave my tithe. No, that's not how this works. It's not how it works. You need to tithe and you need to live justly and you need to live mercifully and you need to live faithfully with others. So I believe, in my wife and I, in our practice, that the New Testament's handling of tithing is so that Christians, or as Christians, we would follow that principle as a starting point. It's a principle to help us get started. That, that, that 10% of our income is a good understanding of what giving according to our income should be. Giving according to the proportion of what we earn. But our giving shouldn't stop there. It's, it's a principle to get us going. In other words, it's not a wooden law. Give 10%, but don't give 105 no, 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 it, it's a principle to get us going. For by God's grace and blessing, there are times that we need, need, need to give abundantly more to his gospel work. So, so again, the New Testament may not directly prescribe it in the same manner as the Old Testament law, but it doesn't lay it to the side either. And here's what Kathleen and I have discovered. We have given, at minimum, 10% of our income in weekly tithes and offerings to our church here at Laurel for 15 years. We don't even think about it each month. That doesn't mean that we don't get stressed financially. We do. We do. We are. Okay? But that's not a part of the negotiation for us. We can get rid of YouTube TV. We can cancel the internet. We can sell a kid. But we can't. (laughs) I'm kidding. Just making sure you're awake. No, there's other things that we can do, right? But, but for us, for us, that's a non-negotiable. We, we're, we're not going to slack in our generosity to God. And so we don't even think about it. We just give it and we trust the Lord that he, with our needs, believing that the principle of the tithe is where he wants us to start. But, but additionally, we give to missions above that. We give to our building program here at church. We give to other projects that the Lord brings before us. All by God's enabling grace and how he prospers us. We also do our best to share what God has given to us in possessions with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Except for candy. I don't share candy. 
But I'm telling you this in hopes that you will hear this next part. Listen to me carefully, because I know many of you can testify to the same. That through all of our giving, we've always been taken care of by the Lord. So whether you give 10% or 50%, you have tested God, and guess what you have found to be true? God takes care of his people. He always provides for our needs, because that's what he promised to do. Philippians 4.19, written in the context of generosity, he says, my God will supply all your needs, not according to how much is in the IRS. He will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glorious grace. 2 Corinthians 8.9, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, all the time, you may abound in every good work. He says, keep on giving because God's going to take care of you all the time. When you see Jesus watching the poor widow in Mark 12 give one-eighth of a cent in the offering, which was not even a tithe, by the way. It was everything that she had. One-eighth of a cent. And then you hear him say to his disciples that she gave more than anyone combined that day. You're reminded of this important thing, that God measures our giving not by what we put into the offering, but by what we keep out for ourselves. So Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, Jesus said, serve God and money. So is your giving and keeping up with your income? Perhaps if you're just getting started, consider the principle of the tithe as a starting point as you give in regularity to the Lord. And then thirdly and finally, this will be short, but it's important because it's in the text. Thirdly, giving is to be cared for properly. Giving is to be cared for properly. Look at verse 3 back in 1 Corinthians 16. And when I come, Paul says, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now, what is this about? Well, it's about caring for the offering appropriately. It's about handling it with integrity and propriety. By way of application in the context of Laurel, I, I just want you to know, as a reminder, we go over this in our membership class, but just, just as a reminder that our offerings here are counted, deposited, and reviewed by a team of people, a leadership team, a process, by the way, that I've never been involved with from the beginning. I don't count the offering. I, I don't deposit the offering. I don't sign checks. We don't keep petty cash. We're, we're doing everything that we can to guard ourselves pastorally from these points of accusation. So we don't work on these things in isolation or in loneliness. It's always together. And our men who handle these things, these offerings, they never do it alone. They do it in teams with one another. Teams with one another. We've been privileged to have designated staff as business managers who have handled the day-to-day bookkeeping and financial records within the collective accountability of church leaders and third-party professionals. Just recently, I'm very excited about this 
was not that Austin and others were doing a bad job. We just wanted to divert our time and attention to the right places, giving most of our focus to ministry purposes and not administrative purposes. So what we did was we hired a third-party church finance service who now handles all of this for us. Our, our, our budgets are prepared annually by our leadership team, working together with our pastors as the spiritual advisors and overseers of our ministry. Listen, there's much, much more I could say, but I just want to tell you for what it's worth that we work hard to take care of the offerings of our church orderly and properly for the glory of God and the confidence of the givers. So this is not just me saying, give, 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 give. No, it's saying give because you have the confidence, the confidence that integrity, propriety, and accountability is being put in measure. Now, what are the gospel implications of all of this? I'm glad you asked. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. You're, if you want to turn there, let me just read it to you if you're not. Now, by their approval, verse 13, 2 Corinthians 9, by their approval of this service, that is, by their giving, okay, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from this confession of the gospel of Christ. It's interesting, okay? So we see God's glory and God's gospel correlated with the generosity of of your contribution, your offerings for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And then he says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So did you catch that? When we generously give our weekly offerings to the work of God's church, we are glorifying God and we are exalting his gospel. That is, through the regularity of our giving, we are acknowledging that the local church is imperative, that it is essential to the God-given task of making disciples here and around the world. So we give to the gospel because the gospel has been given to us. And every time we give, whatever we can give according to God's prospering of us. It glorifies him and it exalts his gospel. I had somebody say to me recently who's new to our church, not, not a bad thing, and, and I don't want to embarrass them. I just, it's just a point of fact. They said, we're surprised uh, that you never talk about money or at least not as frequently as we're accustomed to. You guys must have a lot of wealthy people. And my answer to that is, if we have a lot of wealthy people, I have not met them. (laughs) I think it is a testament to this congregation as indeed a core conviction of this body that we recognize what we give is for the glory of God. It does exalt the gospel so we don't have to be prodded. We don't have to have our arms twisted We don't have to take up a second and third offering to make sure the bills are paid. Because as a testimony to you, to you, you understand how essential and imperative giving is to our Christian faith. And so by your testimony, just by people who are visiting our church, that we don't have to discuss this all the time, by your mere testimony, guess what you have done? 
you have glorified God through these brothers and sisters, through these visitors. You have exalted what is to be the primary thing here, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to that I say, thank you. Thank you. Thanks be to God for the gift of his gospel, the privilege of giving back and worship to the Lord. But if you're not a Christian, I do need to tell you this. There is not a penny in this world enough money on the face of this earth that could gain you any kind of value in the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life with Jesus Christ. Money ain't going to get you there. In fact, money will keep you out. So we don't come to Christ saying, here, can I pay my way out? No. The debt's already been paid. And not with silver and gold. It was paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so I get to give to him because of all that he gave to me, which is himself. Do you know Jesus? Have you trusted his gospel? It is not the gospel of wealth and prosperity. It is not the gospel of give this and he'll give you that. No, that is not right. It is the gospel that Jesus died for your sins. He rose again the third day. And anyone who trusts in him will receive the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God forever. Let us start where we must start. Not with the value of my finances in order to be accepted to God, but know the value of what he laid down in order for God to take me just as I am. Let's stand together for prayer.